Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. For historical context, today is the 6th of June, excuse me, July of 2022. I don't even really know what month it is. And today I'm going to be discussing something that's a bit on the esoteric side, but given that my audience is primarily pulmonary and critical care doctors, intensivists from all backgrounds, nurses, med students, residents, etc., fellows, everybody who wants to be in the ICU sphere, I want to introduce you to an index that you may or may not have heard of in the past. See, I had this whole lecture on mechanical circulatory support and I really work hard to keep it up to date and I've come to realize that I haven't spoken about the PAPI index yet. Well, the I and the PAPI is index, so that's a bit redundant. I really think it's important in an effort to not fly blind in patients with either advanced heart failure or cardiogenic shock that there are certain equations out there to help us manage our patients. These equations and kind of numbers that we plug into them help us identify who is and who is not doing well because we really want to act on their deterioration before it really hits the fan. An example of something I've covered before and the podcast episode on this has been quite popular to my surprise because I thought it was pretty darn esoteric when I was actually recording it was the one on the cardiac power output which helps measure how the left heart is doing in patients with cardiogenic shock. To measure patients' right heart function, however, I introduced you the pulmonary artery pulsatility index called PAPI, or if you're Cuban like me, you call it PAPI. And I'd like to clarify right off the bat that per the data, quote, PAPI is related to but not a direct measure of RV function, end quote. See, indexes like this are here to help us, not to be absolutes. And the article that referenced this is one that's free for you to download. And as always, I will tell you, download these articles for yourself. They're down in the show notes. Double check my work and don't trust me as none of this is medical advice. The first question that you're probably thinking to yourself as I'm talking to you about this index that has pulmonary artery in it is what do we do to obtain this PAPI score or PAPI index or I'll just call it PAPI moving forward. The part that makes it a little bit challenging here is that you need to go ahead and float a Swan-Gans catheter, which is also called a PA catheter. And many of us want to be minimalists of sorts when it comes to taking care of critically ill patients, but this is an invasive procedure. So therefore, you only want to do it in patients who may benefit from performing the numbers and if you know what to do with the actual numbers that are provided by the PA catheter. In the back of our minds, we're contemplating on these patients performing far more invasive procedures to save their lives, such as right-sided mechanical circulatory support, of which I'm not going to mention the devices. These values are ones that are obtained from the PA catheter, and you plug it into the equation. So when you actually go ahead and you float the swan, you're going to see the PA pressures, which is the pulmonary pulse pressure, which is the systolic pulmonary artery pressure. You subtract it from the diastolic pulmonary artery pressure. Again, that gives you the pulse pressure. And then you're going to divide it by the right atrial pressure, which is also called the central venous pressure. So I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, Eddie, I really don't know how to put in swans and I really don't want to float a swan with all the possible complications. And I don't really know how to wedge and the nursing staff doesn't really know how to do the waveforms and all that. And I don't know how to do it myself. So, you know, it kind of becomes a mess. And it's also understandable that you want to limit procedures performed on a patient. So some just might not have the comfort level to go ahead and do this. An echocardiogram might be a reasonable alternative to try to obtain, but to be honest, obtaining the right heart, all the windows for the right heart via echocardiogram is not very straightforward. It's very challenging to obtain windows in many patients for a number of reasons. 
An example of this is that I take care of a lot of patients in the CVICU who are post-op cardiac surgery, they've had a sternotomy, and here it's almost impossible to obtain a window sufficient to make a clinical determ de determination, I almost said deterioration. Sure, one could potentially drop a transesophageal echo probe, which, you know, for short we call P TEE, but to be honest, I don't have the skill set as of today, and the skill set is not as ubiquitous as, all we all, as we all wish it was. I mean, I haven't dropped the TEE probe in years, and in my institution, I would need to call either a cardiologist uh, who does TEEs or a cardiac anesthesiologist. And these folks are not necessarily available 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the sake of academic curiosity. One of the things that we do do if you do get good windows to help you assess the patient's right heart is something called the TAPSE, T-A-P-S-E. So when an echo is performed, we look at the tricuspid annular plane systolic excursion. That's what TAPSI is. And the way you evaluate it per the data is, quote, it is evaluated from a four-chamber apical view and is an echocardiographic parameter for the detection of right ventricular systolic dysfunction, end quote. Of course, read these data for yourself. I just like to give hat tips to all the authors who teach me things through their papers. So you basically measure it from the apical four chamber using M-mode imaging. And the value here, that's the key number, is that if the TAPSI is less than 16 millimeters, it's considered to be abnormal. We could go on and talk about TAPSI for a whole podcast, but that's honestly beyond the scope of this podcast. It probably will bore you to death. So let's say you go ahead and you float the swan and you want to see what the PAPI is. First of all, it was first validated, the PAPI was first validated in 2012 in patients with acute myocardial infarction. These patients had severe right ventricular dysfunction. And for the sake of this podcast, we're going to ignore the cutoffs used for the patients who are status post-implantable LVADs. See, when you talk about validation, this, this, this indexed PAPI has only been validated in patients who had recent MIs. If you're looking at LVAD patients, it's going to be a different index, right? That, that's going to be the determination for you. So we really don't know in these patients who have chronic decompensated right heart failure what their PAPI target should be. The same thing occurs in patients who are status post open heart surgery. It hasn't been validated in these patients either, which are some of the limitations to the PAPI index. I kind of wanted to get into what's normal and what's abnormal, but I just wanted to mention these two things because... You know, you, you want to use these you want to use these numbers in places where it's been validated. Another patient population that you have to be very careful for are patients who have pulmonary hypertension. It completely throws off the accuracy of the pulmonary artery pulsatility index because there has been time for the heart to remodel and the right heart might become a little bit stronger and you know this just not just might not be the same number you would see under typical circumstances for the patients who had an acute MI. But now let's talk about the numbers. If you go ahead and you calculate the PAPI, which is the pulse pressure of the pulmonary artery, repeating the equation again, pulmonary artery systolic minus pulmonary artery diastolic, you get that number and then you divide that by the CVP or right atrial pressure, which is the same thing. If the PAPI score is less than 0.9 and in some articles it's less than one, it indicates that there's possible RV failure and that the clinician should consider RV support. But like everything in medicine, this number is not absolute. However, if the PAPI is greater than one, 
This indicates that the RV is likely normal and hopefully you won't have anything to do with the patient. You know, they'll probably do okay. So I'm gonna discuss how I use the PAPI in practice. In my practice, the majority of my patients who come to the cardiac ICU in cardiogenic shock have either come after an acute myocardial infarction or decompensated heart failure. Before they're admitted to the ICU and they get to my hands, they either pass through the hands of an ER colleague or, you know, a hospitalist. But usually there's a baseline echocardiogram that's ordered. However, if it hasn't been actually performed yet, I go ahead and place a probe on the chest of the patient to take a quick look if the echo techs are busy. Sometimes I follow around the echo techs and they come to the bedside and I look at the pictures with them. I am usually also having discussions with my cardiology colleagues as well. And depending on their hemodynamics and physical exam, I choose my monitoring device. If their cardiogenic shock looks to be isolated left heart, I'll try one of the devices that are pulse contour analysis that I have available to me at my shop. Sometimes the one that goes on the finger provides numbers that are sufficiently reliable, but let's be honest, patients with cardiogenic shock tend to have cold fingers, which may affect the reliability of the device, at least from what I've seen. An arterial line will be placed for more reliable numbers, and if they're right heart issues, then honestly, a PA catheter is in the cards for the patient. We need to go ahead and obtain consent from the patient because floating a swan is not without risks. Once the swan is floated, I go ahead and calculate the PAPI as well as the CPO, the cardiac power output that I've covered in the past. Now, if the PAPI is suboptimal and there's no immediately reversible issue that could be resolved with, for example, PCI and a stent, then it's time to consider mechanical circulatory support because we all know that delaying care in these patients, delaying escalation leads to increased mortality. I guess that wraps up today's podcast on PAPI. Hope you all enjoyed it. If you haven't done so yet, feel free to leave me a five-star review on whatever podcast medium you're listening to this on. Thank you very much for your support. Hope you all have a great day. Bye.